You're listening to Signal to Noise, part of the ProSound Web Podcast Network, proudly brought to you this week by the following sponsors. Allen and Heath, introducing their new CQ series, a trio of compact digital mixers for musicians, bands, audio engineers, home producers, small venues, and installers that puts ease of use and speed of setup at the heart of the user experience. Rational Acoustics, makers of SMART, the industry-leading acoustical test and measurement software. Rational Acoustics, rational people, smart products. RCF, who has just unveiled their new TT Plus audio brand, including the high-performance GTX series line arrays and the GTS 29 subwoofer. Be sure to check it out at rcf-usa.com. That's rcf-usa.com. I wish I could break Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Signal to Noise on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andy Levis, and uh, over there, you can't see him, but I can, my co-host, Sean Walker. What's up, Sean? What's up, man? How you all doing? I'm, I'm doing, you know, and enjoying my, my one day off this week. Uh, took a nice. took a day off from the art center to go uh, work outside in the rain, uh, doing a little bit of monitors on an SQ7. All right, cool. How'd that go? It went pretty well. You know, it was cool. It's, you know, I've been hearing lots about it with Alan and Heath as one of our sponsors, and uh, I hadn't had my hands on it because I've been living in Yamaha world for a while. Kind of dipped my toe back into the Alan and Heath pool, had a good time. Uh, You're not too beat up? You're not crying? It must have gone fine? No, uh, console wise, it did. It was it was cold and wet because it was it was it was fifty degrees, but it was it was raining outside on Fifth Avenue in Manhattan. But a uh, couple All of right. cool cool jazz acts. Uh, Sweet lovely, dude, how fun! Lovely afternoon. Um, I, I yeah, I did not have to live out the the bad joke about uh, about monitor engineers and proctologists. Do, do you know right. that one? Or you, sure don't. What, what's the difference between a monitor engineer and a proctologist? I don't know, but I'm afraid you're going to tell me. Proctologist only has to deal with one asshole at a time. <laughs> and on that note, folks, uh, are you still working on the shop move, or uh, y'all settled in there? We're settled in. It, it's never, it's never done. It just keeps getting cleaned and recleaned and organized and reorganized and labeled and relabeled. And you know what I mean. We went and did a show last week at, a, at the convention center here, and came back, and we're like, "Well, now it's all wrong. Now we got to do it all." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 I'll do it all again. Like, but yeah, it was great. It was, it's fine. We're we're stoked to have a, you know, bigger space with room for more trucks and more gear. And holy crap, it just never ends. Speaking yeah. of never-ending gear, I'm sure our guest today understands completely. I was gonna say, talking goes. about uh, grow, growing shops from a small thing, it keeps going. Uh, we've got uh, somebody here joining us who's been in the business for somewhere. Around, was it fifty years? I think fifty on the dot. Yep, five zero. Yeah. Uh, so uh, those of you who listened to our episode the other week with Joe Palermo will uh, remember a passing mention, um, and also uh, a friend that I was introduced to a couple of weeks ago through Pete Wojcicki, who was on a couple episodes ago. Uh, joining us today is the one and only TC Furlong out of Chicago. How you doing, TC? I'm doing great. Hi, guys. Nice to meet you uh, on the screen. Love it. Yeah, man. Thanks for coming to hang out. Yeah, TC and I chatted on the phone the other week and, and lost track of a good chunk of an afternoon uh, hanging out <laughs> the other day. Um, and and I'm, I'm excited to bring him in to, to share that with you, too. That's um, how it goes. So, TC, why don't you give us a quick, like, back, because I know you, did, did you start in music and then migrate into that? Because I know you've got sort of like a split career we were talking about the other day. You want to give us yeah. a little, little yeah, history? I, I, I was a, let me tell you when it started. The whole thing started on February the 9th of 1963. I think that's the right date, when the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan show. All right. And I saw that, and I said, that's what I want to do. And sure enough, I saw it live. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I said, that is cool. And so from then on, I tried to figure out how I could be a musician and that type of thing. I was nine when that happened. I think I was eight, eight or nine. And, uh, and I thought... Music is a really cool thing. And then at the same time, I was fascinated by speakers, just, you know, raw frame drivers, just like, I said, how can you put a wire into this thing and a voice comes out of it? As a little kid, I was, you know, kind of really fascinated by it. So I'd get a radio and I'd take it apart and I'd turn and I'd figure out, not when I was eight or nine, but a little later, I'd figure out 
that that speaker could also be a microphone. And I, and I said, how does that work? And, you know, a young mind is fascinated by that kind of stuff. And to this day, I am still a loudspeaker nerd. I mean, I love everything there is to know about loudspeakers. Um, over the years, I've certainly, in 73, when I started the company, I started as a loudspeaker manufacturer. That's a fancy name for a couple of dudes building speakers in a shop. We did have a proper shop that was a house that was on a, a small bunker hill, and underneath it was an air raid shelter. So there was a there's a sheet metal company in the air raid shelter, and we were in this house on top of a hill. And I mean, we'd haul plywood in there, and we had a saw, and we'd make cabinets. And there was an album that came out in the 70s, I think. Uh, it was by the Almond Brothers, and it was called Live at the Fillmore. And it had, they were set up in front of all their flight cases, the, the amp road cases for their amps. And I looked at that and I said, that's stupid. They're building cases around their speakers. Why don't you build speakers into the cases? So I did. I started a brand called Steamer Sound, and we built like a Marshall 412 cabinet into a, a, what looked like a flight case. And the lid came off it rather than having to store all those other cases. Well, we, so, we actually sold a fair number of them then. And uh, we went on, then we started building PA cabinets that had cases built on them, and, you know, aluminum edging and ball corners on speaker cabinets. We were the first to really do that. And uh, then we start building PA systems because, you know, you need to build speakers that do more than amplify guitars. So we did that, and that was kind of fun. So we did some outdoor festival stuff, and we started migrating into that. And all the while, I started to play more. You know, we're doing gigs, and so I, I was, you know, unencumbered, not married. I didn't really have any responsibilities other than making speakers. So, and I was a young guy, so I started playing pedal steel guitar, and that was my instrument in the, like, 70, late 74, early 75. And uh, I got a gig playing in a band three nights a week for more money than I was making building speakers. So I said, this doesn't suck. So I, so I went out and I, I'm playing in bars and I'm a, pretty funky bars, but I, I played in them anyway. And I learned a lot about how to be in a band and how to rehearse. And then, so at the, at night I would go out and play gigs in the, with the band. And then during the day it's build speakers. And eventually the band changed a little bit. Fast forward to 1984, the band had a big hit record we toured, did all that stuff, and I kept the sound company going with, I had a couple guys who were helping me, and, you know, so certainly when we were out of town, we wouldn't go out that long, maybe three weeks in, three weeks home, I'm sorry, three weeks out, three weeks home, and I learned a lot being on the road using other people's PAs. That's invaluable for, uh, for what, uh, what I would later do as my full-time occupation. I still play, not as much but I still play. Uh, anyway, so that was a good way to get into understanding how things are done in other regions. We went all over the country. I don't think we ever played in Seattle, Sean, but we did play in a lot of major cities. What were some of the things you learned about other people's PA systems while you were out? Like what, that was different from what you were doing or along the lines you were thinking at the time. What were some of the things you brought back on? Oh man, this is going to rock. Yeah. Uh, well, Monitors was a, was a major thing that I we got because we got to experience those firsthand. So I learned about higher quality drivers. We were using Eminence speakers when we were building. I was the first music customer for Eminence in 1973. They were building like cool. industrial speakers or car speakers or something. But the first, I think they told me anyway that the first people that were using them for sound systems and music was our little company. And then, of course, they became oh, cool, gigantic after yeah. that. But, uh, but I, you know, and Eminence were good. We'd have them made to our specs because you couldn't buy a standard model. So we didn't know that much about how to design speakers. But then I heard like an EB12L, and I said, this thing sounds fantastic. So, I, so we started changing a little bit in that, and I found out we were Altec guys. We always, for whatever reason, we used Altec drivers, uh, and then later on, People introduced me to JBL drivers and then EV drivers. So as more offerings hit the market, because remember, in those days, you couldn't buy a PA. You had to build it. 
I mean, for the most part, all the companies that had, you know, concert type PAs, they were built by the, the companies themselves. I, I mean, you can go, to, I mean, I think Claire is one of the few companies that still does that. But yeah, and then I saw a phase linear power amp and I thought, what is that? You know, so we, you know, we were using, believe it or not, tube amps that we built back at the transformers weighed as much as a, like a giant rock. You know, I think the amps weighed over a hundred pounds for these big four sixty five fifties and giant oh, iron. You're, in there. you're giving me Yamaha amplifier flashbacks right now. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. The 2200s and those, yeah, those were wonderful amps. Particularly and if I, you need, had a boat you needed to anchor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. I went into a, an arena a few years ago, and I saw a giant rack full of Yamaha amplifiers that had been in there 35 years, and they were still working. Still kicking. Yeah. yeah was, it, was it like H5000s? Was that the Yamaha? I thought the P2200s and P2400s. Yeah. I'm having a hard time with some yeah. of those models. But yeah, but we did have some of those. So yeah, amps were a big thing. I mean, everything was. And then, of course, we went from mixing consoles in the early days. My first mixer, are you ready? Wait for it a PV9 channel with rotary knobs. It was a big console mixer. you fancy. I tried to find fancy. a picture of one of those things. I couldn't find a picture anywhere on the internet. It was 10 knobs, nine channels, and they were about three inches. These channels, they aren't faders, they're not. Rotary knobs were about three inches in diameter. They're, they were huge. So it was a nine into one, and we thought we had arrived. Because you know before that, you're using... Oh, maybe Tapco mixers. That was a little bit, and with the pots that would freeze up. You guys aren't old enough to remember those, but it, it, rotary pots. You know, so it was. Uh, I was going to say I'm just old enough to remember when Mackie decided they were going to bring the Tapco brand back for a little while, right? Like in the 2000s, right? Yeah. So, and uh, I, I do remember that. Yeah, but yeah. So we, you know, just the the fact that you could start buying stuff. I have a a good memory of a. Uh, we we were going to, my band in 77 was going to uh south bend indiana and we in the, in 77 we didn't care, carry a front of house guy or a sound engineer at all the clubs would usually have a guy and they were good enough and but we would always want to find somebody who wasn't the club guy so we'd call the club sometimes and we'd say who's who's a good sound engineer in the in the uh, region and they told me about this guy and i called him up and i said that would you come mix our band here's what we're like and he said uh what kind of mixer you have because bands always took their own pas back then clubs never had pas so uh i said well we have a soundcraft series 1s i'm in and and i'm still friends with him today <laughs> and awesome. he's one of our reps now and he's oh, a wow. wonderful guy we've been friends for since 1977 when we met because he came <laughs> because he liked we had i think we had the first series 1s in the country. I drove to Soundcraft's headquarters in Kalamazoo, Michigan and bought it for cash. That's so, awesome. Yeah. But, so, so nothing's changed then. You still got to bribe <laughs> sound guys with good consoles to show up and work. Okay. So, you're exactly <laughs> yeah. you're exactly right. Yeah. So that's funny. But uh Yeah, so uh so then so the music and the sound business uh did intersect a lot in the early days and uh I get to go play every now and then, and I had a reasonably active studio career. So Chicago was jingle central, so I got to play on a lot of jingles, and uh, I am now a life member of the Musicians Union. With uh, my, I have a life member button, which is not easy to get. And it used to be that life member meant you didn't have to pay dues anymore. Now, the union asks that you pay half of your dues which, okay, I do. <laughs> and then they just told me I would be better off if I reinstated my standard membership because there's some life insurance that I would get that I didn't get. So I did just because I like the union. But I get a pension. I'm a pensioner now from the Musicians Union. It, it was a use it or lose it when I turned 65. You're going to lose it. If you don't take it, it's just not going to go anywhere. Okay, I'll take it. Of course, shut up and take it. their yeah. money. Absolutely, so I, of course. So I can go out to lunch with three people in New York with my pension, with my monthly pension, just to tell you it right. So, totally. and, and that's probably at a McDonald's. <laughs> right. It is New York. Right. You're not right. going to 11 Madison Park if that was everything. Right. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. 
So I don't want to get us too far derailed off the tangent, but you just let slip in there the whole like hit song with the band thing. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta flag that and, and get the rest of the story. Okay. Well, the band that I, I guess I'm still in the band. We started the band in '77, and it took till '84 to have it go into a hit record. So. The band's name is Jump in the Saddle Band. Nobody knows what the what the band did. But the song's name is The Curly Shuffle. It's a song about the Three Stooges. It's a novelty song. And we sold a lot of records and were signed to Atlantic and went to New York and met with the president of Atlantic. And it was a it was a whirlwind romance with the record company and the band. And it How didn't fun, end dude. well. <laughs> right. It, it oh, didn't fun. end well, as I said? Pardon? You said it did not end well? Well, what one hit wonder ends up well with the record company? None. So you got to have a multiple uh, number of hits to, to keep a record company being nice to you. So we, I mean, they, we, we learned a lot about major labels having been on one. And uh, I mean, it was fine. It was fine. We had some really good advice by some of the people at the record company who kind of took pity on these young dudes from Chicago who had no clue of how to deal with the, the record industry. And we did okay. We did fine. And I'm still managing the publishing. You know, after all these years, I still get royalties. You still on the got song. the gold medal, though. There like a go. hit song is a gold medal, man. You know what I mean? Don't, yeah. don't discount that there was one. There's a lot of people that will never get one. That was awesome. What a, what a cool accomplishment, man. It, well, thanks. Yeah, a lot, a lot of people. So I have one friend, you know, they, they'll say, Hits sound company, yeah, yeah, whatever. Hits on what, what, whatever. He said, but my friend says, do you know he's the guy that invented the Z bracket? And he said, what? That thing Z-bar? is so is yeah, Z bar is what it was. Yeah, yeah. So I invented that, sold it to Sure as model A forty five Z, and then licensed um, Z right stuff to sell them, and they just stopped selling them after twenty five years, I think. Oh wow! Oh my gosh, yeah. that's awesome, dude! Yeah. I would have loved that if I knew. I, I wasn't trying to correct you. I was, I was trying to understand that we're talking about the same thing that I, I know yeah. is a Z bar, but the Z bracket thing—that's cool, dude. Right, right. Yeah, I wasn't trying to correct you about your own thing. Oh no, no, <laughs> yeah. no, no! You're right. Z bar is what everybody calls it because it kind of flows off the tongue better. But I think back in 1980 something when I came up with that, 88, actually it was probably earlier than that. Um, there was already a product called a Z bar, so I couldn't call it that. So I had to call it a Z bracket, and so I think it, they've now changed it to a Z bar. So there's so another for, for guy this. in uh, in the South who's uh, selling it now. So he's a he, he's a real good guy, and I wish him all the success. Wonderful guy. So so for for the folks out there listening who aren't familiar, I assume most listeners are. But what, should we give the quick like what is a Z bar? Yeah, sure. Uh, would you like to describe it, or shall I? I'm going to let you do it. I know okay. better than to put my foot in my mouth. No, no, that's fine. So here's me. It's like looking at the Almond Brothers uh, thing. You know, a mic stand weighs, what, 15 pounds or something? And I said, there's got to be a way that you can hang a, a microphone on the front of a guitar amp without taking up 15 pounds. And oh, by the way, if it's a combo amp, you can slide it right in the back there, and then you got a way to hold your microphone. So I got the idea because the drummer in our band broke a drumstick and it, it was shattered into two pieces and it was kind of a wedge. And then we had these little uh, Atlas parts that, that you put on the side of a um, mic stand, like for an acoustic guitar or something that would hold a gooseneck. And then you'd, so, so I clamped that to that and I put a mic on that. So the first one was a drumstick and an Atlas side uh, accessory. So I said, I can make that better than that. So I learned how to have metal bent on a brake put a slot in it, put a knurled part, had the knurled parts made in an automatic screw machine. I learned all the stuff about plating and, and uh, passivating metal to accept paint. And it was a deep dive to get it to work right. But I, I did. And uh, so it holds a microphone in front of a Cabo amp or a 412 amp. And uh, you see them all the time. Uh, I think Claire is a big user because I know that they were, I see their shows and there's a lot of them on there. Um, yep. I'm kind of embarrassed to say that we until recently we didn't have any at our company. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, what, what, what they say about the, the cobbler, the cobbler's children go shoeless. The, uh, there's oh, there's an funny. element of that. Yeah. Now that's, people would ask us to buy them, 
And so I dropped by, it was Jack and Beverly Contney, who, who were the distributor. I dropped by their house and I say, can I get a half a dozen of these? So-and-so's in town and they want to get them. So I, I said, <laughs> yeah, be here at nine o'clock. So I'd go on my way to the gig, I'd pick up. So we were selling them, you know, just ad hoc like that. But uh, yeah, it, it, was a, it was a pretty cool little uh, product. And I got I to gotta tell you a funny story about the Z-Bars. Uh, we were selling them to Sure. I was, uh, they were selling them. And I said, you guys got to put them in a blister pack, which is a see-through plastic pack. And they, uh, oh. and they wouldn't do it. They put them in a box and labeled, it was like an SM58 box, only flat, and labeled it A45. Well, they sat on a shelf and nobody knew what they were. But later on, they started to do blister packs for like foam windscreens and 58 replacement heads and stuff like that. So I said, you got to put it in a They never would. So it didn't sell very many. Until one day, I got a PO from them. PO came in, and it was it was supposed to be for two thousand pieces, and it was two hundred thousand pieces. There was a typo, and it was like two million five hundred dollar PO. <laughs> I was a guy building them in my garage, and I said, <laughs> "Well, well, it clearly was a mistake, you know, because they 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 weren't going to buy two hundred thousand of these things." I said, well, how's that going to work? Anyway, so they, uh, I called them and they said, oh, thank you. Yeah, so they issued, reissued the PO for 2,000 pieces. And I made those. And that took me, you know, the better part of a few weeks to make 2,000 of them. They were pretty easy to make. But uh, anyway, so th that's the Z-Bar. Most people don't know that unless my friends tell them about it. Yeah, so fun Dude, product. that's awesome. Yep. That's awesome. We've oh, got it. We use them. Those things like, are great. And it's oh, such a ubiquitous you. piece that, like, you don't think it, like, you don't even think somebody invented it. It's just like yep. it's it's always been there. That's awesome, <laughs> right? Since the '80s. So yeah. So I'm Andy. I'm not going to ask if you were in the '80s when those were made. If you were born yet, <laughs> but I but I will ask you: Were you in regular street clothes by then? <laughs> like, I was I was born in eighty one. So Okay, so you were not in street clothes. You were in special baby clothes then. Okay. I was I was in footy yes. pajamas. Footy right? pajamas. Footy here pajamas. Too, yeah. right. I'm exactly. I'm one year older than Andy. Okay. Got it. So anyway, so yeah, so that's kinda how how that went. Uh and being in being in a, a musician gives you, I think, in my experience, pretty good different perspective. So I do I don't know your backgrounds about being. Do you guys play or music? Some I'm I'm lapsed. I have two saxophones upstairs that I haven't touched in far too long, and really shouldn't. Now I'm going to feel guilty about it again. Mm -hmm. Same, yeah. Trumpet all through school, and then sang in rock bands as a you know teenager, twenty something. Then pretty right. soon, you know, no, learning you're a trumpet player makes so many things make sense. <laughs> So I've, I've just got a whole new understanding of Sean right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. What, well, do you think that that gives you an advantage when you're dealing with musicians? Absolutely. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. Absolutely. First yeah, of all, like, it's, a re it's a respect, right? You have a respect for the musicians and how hard it is to be a good musician. It's really hard. And then there's kind of a, a level of awe that when you're dealing with some of the upper level musicians that they've been able to forge a career and one that in a life that's not easy for a musician to make. And uh, I mean, I always have the utmost respect for musicians. Even when they're not being nice to me, I still think, man, this guy is so good. I don't care if he's not being nice to me. He's awesome. <laughs> so, totally. Yeah. And, yep. there's, and there's a shared language, too, that... Yep. Like there's, Absolutely. In, in, yeah, there's, there's so often there's that, that it becomes an adversarial relationship between sound folk and music folk. And and when you can when you can bridge that and be like no no I get it like I completely yeah I'm like understanding You're like, I get it I've just been here for eighteen hours a day and I'm burnt to the yeah. freaking ground so I need a cup of coffee and a you know and a nap but like I understand I'm just yeah. right. <laughs> I'm just right. exhausted man I'm not trying to be a jerk <laughs> okay I have a story so right. one of the things when I love when stories. you're old like I am you get a lot of stories um. And I will name, I don't usually name the artist, but I will name the artist because he's no longer with us. And so he's not here to call me out on this. So we, well, do, we, do, we do a lot of broad, do, do and did a lot of broadcast origination over the years. And <clears throat> we were doing uh, a TV show, a high def TV show with B.B. King. And it was, I mean, I've, he was one of my first guitar heroes when I was a kid. 
seeing B.B. King live when I was like 11 backstage at an outdoor shed was like, this guy's, he's magic. So anyway, so he, he was 86 at the time and he comes on stage and I'm standing on stage and he makes a beeline for me, sticks out his hand and he says, how you feeling? And I said, Mr. King, I'm feeling great now that you're here. No, B.B. He made me call him B.B. Okay, Mr. B.B. So I said, so he was so gracious and so nice. And I think he knew that, that I was kind of in awe. I don't get starstruck for people, but it was B.B. King. And I've done many other shows with him, but this was a special thing. So he had a new drummer. And the drummer was the worst guy in the world to be around. Barking orders at us, uh, just demanding, telling us to do stuff just to see us fail, you know, and you're not working fast enough, just yelling at us. And my guys are, you know, they're, they're like, okay, whatever, we're nice to them. What, what can we do to help you? So just faster next time. And that, so BB's on stage during the show, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, he says, I have a new drummer in the band, and I want to tell you, I observed some things about him during our afternoon here. And when I was a young coming up guy, we would carry a switchblade because we never knew what was going down. I look at that drummer and I want to tell you, I'll cut a drummer. Just like that, he dressed him down. He fired him at the end of the gig for the way he, he treated us. So I was like, B.B. King couldn't get any more awesome and he did. So, all right, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. What a cool story. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I so mean, not was, cool that you had to go through it, but cool at the end uh, when you yeah. got the experience. Like, I mean, you know, it, I mean, we're we're good at it, so we we can always you know feign that we're interested in helping somebody when we really aren't that interested in helping them. But we will. We'll always help. Yeah, it was a it was a it was a marvelous moment in my career, and one that I'll never forget. So, absolutely, yep. how cool, man. So yeah, so you you were touring with the band, and I guess we sort of we sort of derailed into the music thing, but we were starting to go through like how 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 did TC Furlong the person become TC Furlong the company that you know Chicago Land knows and loves? Uh, well, I always, like I said, I always played and did live sound, and I had, you know, in the when the early days, I'd have a couple of guys that were working with me, um, and they would go do shows when I'd have a playing gig and, and, you know, I was doing a lot of gigs. I played in a band, but I'd also do, like I said, sessions and I'd do other things. So the musicians would in town would go out at night and uh, I'd show up on the gig as a mus- as a steel guitar player. Oh, and they say, Hey man, how you doing? And that kind of thing. And then I'd be on another date with the same guys and I'd be doing sound and they'd say, I didn't think there was a steel guitar on this sh- on this show, and I said there isn't. What are you doing here? I said I do sound. You do sound too, so that's awesome. <laughs> it, so it flipped. You know, it was like you know, one day I was the musician guy, and then I was the sound guy. Now and they're recently, all confused. <laughs> all, they're all confused <laughs> exactly. And I'd show up, and I'd have my steel guitar, and they say, "You play?" <laughs> I said more recently, and I said, "Yeah, I do." Oh, okay. Cool. So anyway, that's awesome. Yeah, but I think it does give you kind of a unique perspective into you know what people like, how to be professional. You know, I mean, a lot of musicians are really professional, and you know, I have a, I'll drop a little tidbit here and there, but I have a, a saying that I learned from Tom Snyder, the late night television show. You guys probably don't remember Tom Snyder, but he was this guy that was I, on I after. Do in fact. Do you? Yeah, I do, just barely, but yeah. Yeah, so Tom Snyder, I, I would watch him because he's the guy that came on at midnight and we'd just be coming home from a gig. And uh, he gave me the, de- the uh, definition of a professional. And I've never forgotten it. He said, a professional does his best even when he doesn't feel like it. And I said, right on. You know, that is totally, you know, a professional isn't somebody who does it for money. A professional is somebody who always does their best. And totally. I mean, and we've seen, right, musicians who, they're deathly ill. They go on stage. It's a great show. And then they barely make it off stage without collapsing. That's a professional. That's a real pro, you know. So 
I think we try to impart that in uh, the guys and gals at our shop. Boy, does that sound old. Guys and gals. There's a there's a term, but I, I always call it our guys. And we have two women who work at our, our company, and both are sound engineers. And I just don't can't call them girls. I can't call them, are they guys? Can't call them dudes. I, what, what do you call them? What's the right word for a woman working in a sound company? Yeah, I've I've a I've been tech? going sa- sound humans a lot. Um, I will, <laughs> Have you really? I, will say, I actually I I tend to try and refer to sound humans more than or sound people. Up sound people. Um, yeah. I will say the one thing I've taught is is this is my weird like tangential tip for the week is. Because I would find myself in groups, and particularly in theater, where we have a, a I think because of the nature of theater, we have a much yeah. higher proportion of uh, non-males in the industry right. than, than necessarily like the rock and corporate worlds do yet. Um, right. So I've it's been in my consciousness a lot more, and I know I tend to default to, hey guys, hey that. So I actually, in the autocorrect in my phone, taught my phone so that when I say guys, it will automatically change it to folks to remind me. Oh, folks. So like if I if I if I specifically am referring to guys, I have to very like emphatically tell my phone, no, I actually mean guys this time. And it's it's worked. It's over the course of a couple of years, it's made me think more about you know, about more inclusive language, which is is great. And like it's like it's particularly cool to see somebody who's who's been in the business as long as you have and from the days when it was pretty much exclusively dudes to mm-hmm. to be conscious and aware of that that's absolutely yeah and so i'll go out on a limb here and say i think the women who mix live sound do a better job than many of the guys i think women hear better or they have a different sensitivity to how harmonic structures go together or something like that but oh i gotta tell you a woman sound folk story here so it was in uh, Chicago at the Lyric Opera Theater. And we were doing a system for it. And I'll change the names of the local guys to protect the innocent. Um, I mean, in Chicago, you say, Mike, you've pretty much covered all of them and narrowed it down them <laughs> at all. Right. right. There is that, yeah. Um, I think this guy's name was Bob. So Union Hall and Bob was going to mix. It was Kronos Quartet. And Bob was going to mix Kronos, right? So this traveling sound engineer was Barbara Higby. I'll never forget her as long as I live. So we, we set up the console in the balcony, because that's the only place it could be. Um, and she has a big book in her arm when she comes up there. So I'm up there with Bob. And Bob said, just so you know, I'm mixing the show. It's great. Oh, I'm so happy you're willing to mix the show. He says, here, let's go over it now. And she pulls this giant book out and she says, okay, measure three, bar 17, uh, minus two dB. And she starts going through the thing and she doesn't stop. And she's just doing all these sound cues. I don't know if they were real. They might have been. <laughs> but, but he would have to follow the book and mix channels based on levels that she had marked down in this book. And the book was like eight inches thick. It was this giant book. <laughs> I was like. That is, that is the genius. best fu I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I'm mixing this show. You're not mixing this show. All right, cool, man. Here's this encyclopedia. I should Let's get to remember. Go. Never mind. It, you do it. Mm-hmm. And it took less than thirty seconds to say, "Hey, why don't you do it?" That, that's yeah, cool. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yep. So, you you know, it's fun remembering these stories because otherwise I wouldn't think of them. There's probably hundreds of those types of stories. You know, I'll cut a drummer here, bar 17 minus three <laughs> dB, right? There's a million stories like that, but uh, that's oh, what you get best. for being old. Yeah. Dude, so that's the like BB King story, but I cut a bitch. <laughs> and I cut a drummer. On the air. He will get gangster, apparently. <laughs> right. On the air. He didn't. It was a TV show. He didn't. He didn't care. Oh so, man! Right. See now. Now we got to. So I'll, I'll throw it out there to listeners. If anybody can find video of this, uh, yeah, right. It's got to be out there somewhere. Well, I don't know if it made it through the edit, but I do know it made it onto tape. And I don't remember. Okay. I never saw it on the air, but I, I didn't need to. So I'm, say, I'm, try, I'm trying to remember what that what that legal department at, at broadcast networks is that. It's a something and something, but I can't think of what it is that is the, the department that's like, nope, that's not going through. Yeah, yeah. 
it'll, like it'll, legal... it'll come to me like two weeks later, two weeks from now, we'll be recording an episode. And I'll be like, that's what they're called. Right. You chill. Right. You just blurt it out. Yeah. And I got a serious case of CRS and every once in a while you, you know, RS in that. And you're just like, what the, where did that come from, dude? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that totally happens to me too, Sean. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> where did that come from? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Most of the time I'm like, dur, 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 and then every once in a while you're like, blah, 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 blah. What? What am I talking about right now? Why did that, why did that come blurting out right now? Oh, man. Yeah. Well, so yeah. So you, you started on the music side. You you mentioned like the lyric opera, and you've done like theater stuff. Um, mm-hmm. Is there like d- does TC Furlong the company? Do you have a specialty? Have you like it feels like you've done like kind of a, a course of like different areas of specialty over the years? Like how has that evolved or changed? Well, so I always thought it was a good idea to go after underserved markets like we just talked about a minute ago in the worship market that so we still uh have some although it's gotten more competitive in worship markets for sure um corporate has gotten way more competitive uh when corporate was starting out we were uh so the, the av companies the av staging companies were uh huge v tiny a they didn't i mean they really didn't know audio so we'd kind of partner with those companies to help them. And sometimes that was bring systems in. Some, sometimes it was rent them equipment when they were short. Sometimes it was sell them equipment. Um, so we knew how to do that. Uh, so we would you know, supplement whatever they needed, if it was gear or complete shows or whatever, design, whatever it was. And then they, they kind of got the hang of doing it, not just from watching us, but from uh, finding the right kind of technicians to bring into their audio department and uh, and then slowly we would let them go, but we'd still sell them equipment so we could support those markets. And, and we have a lot of those relationships we still have today. We'll sell them, you know, some items that they can't really become a dealer for. And, you know, I think that they're mostly end users. Uh, so we sell them to them as an end user. Uh, some of the manufacturers don't consider an AV staging company an end user. Uh, we, we think that they should be as... Um, capable as a proper dealer. I think we've got, we've got a good service department and we've got the ability to uh, implement the products correctly. Uh, we have, you know, a really good networking guy who helps people with network issues and, you know, and I mean, all the stuff that you need to do, you need some support. So we've, we put a really big value on uh, support for, our customers and high service. And uh, that's kind of how we've built our brand. Sean, I'm sure you have too. Uh, you too, Andy, you've, you've certainly built high service into what you do on Broadway and corporate shows and mixing in the rain, whatever it is, you, yep. you, you, you do high service. And not everybody does that. You know, there's, we, we compete when it comes to selling equipment with some of the boxes. And uh, it's been my experience that we are able to hire uh, provide more support than some of those. So wherever there's a, a need for high service audio is kind of where we go. And that's kind of what, and what we like to do. And that just comes from, you know, years and years of doing it and having experiences. You know, I went to Nashville and I was helping a, a museum open there and I tried to rent something in Nashville. This is going back to 2005, I think. It was really hard to rent a powered speaker in Nashville. And, I mean, everybody's so nice there. And, but I called everybody I knew, and I knew a lot of people in Nashville. And one guy finally said to me, well, I think we got one up on the shelf. Why don't you come over to the house? We'll have some barbecue, and we'll talk about that. I said, I need it tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for a, new, a press conference. He says, well, you know, I, don't, I think he's gone home for the day. Well, in our business, the guy would have gone back from going home for the day, and we would have, you know, said, let me make sure you got it happen. So Absolutely. I couldn't yeah. find the level of, you know, of drop everything and take care of the client. We always laugh about it because it's normal. But sometimes we'll get a call for a rental, and the driver is already in our dock. And they, they'll call, oh, I forgot to call you. Our driver should be there in 10 minutes. Two ladies already here. Can you give him X, Y, and Z? <laughs> right. 
So you're we, like, absolutely, I will take your money. Of course, right. I'll give him X, Y, and Z. Yeah. yeah it, the the answer is yes. You know, yeah. of course. Yes, of course yeah, I will. So, yeah. So we'll probably do it. But the, you know, and the other guy has to find out if I have barbecue for. I'm not. You know, that's not how we're wired. We're hired for you know a different culture, yeah. and it's 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 worked out to take good care of people. So absolutely, they can get black or brown or whatever color boxes anywhere yep. in the world. They come to you know, places like you for the excellent service and to take those black boxes or brown boxes or whatever they are and make them make a lot more sense. You know what I mean? Having somebody that you can call and go, hey, man, so this thing I just got, like, how do I optimize it? Or how do I make it work better or whatever, rather than just like read the manual is super helpful. You know, whether yeah, that's yeah. a beginner or even some of us pros, I won't say us, even some of the pros listening, you know what I mean? Where you're like, hey, man, how do I get to this super nerd level of whatever we're talking about right now? To have somebody that they're in that can help is awesome, you know? Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, I can't imagine doing it any differently, but it, it kind of amazes Same. me sometimes that people don't, you know? Now, totally. Let me tell you some, some of the things that we haven't really done. So we never got into touring. I did a couple tours, an East Coast leg and a West Coast leg at the same time of a dance company, an Argentine dance company, and which was a great show. And... Uh, the sound designer and engineer became a friend of mine, came to work at our company later. Uh, but that's really the only time that we did, you know, real touring. You know, there's a lot of one-offs where we'll go out of town maybe, but, uh, you know, never did rock and roll touring, never liked it. Uh, what I don't know if I didn't like it. I should say I never was attracted to the lifestyle. And there's so many guys who are so good at it. I didn't think we could bring our extra finesse to that environment so we didn't do that and i'm okay with that you know i, I think that's fine that that we didn't invest heavily in touring stuff um single touring, me would love touring yep. married me with kids me does not want to be gone for that long so i i'm kind of in the same shoes you know what i mean you you would love tour, touring as a, as a single man i would as a married oh, yeah. married man with kids and responsibilities i would not it's like Gone too long, you know what I mean? Right. I'll, yeah. I'll let I'll let other people do that while we provide gear for it. Yep. I have yeah. good friends who are, you know, top level touring guys, and I see that man, those guys during COVID. My goodness, you know, it's what a harsh thing to do, you know. But yeah, my hats off to anybody who does that. And totally, some of our man. former employees have gone on to do big name touring, and that kind of, and I. I tip my hat to you guys. It's hard, and you got to know exactly what you're doing. And I, I appreciate you, but at the same time, we bypassed that. So we were able to find, probably not unlike you, Sean, that there's plenty of work locally. Uh, yeah, so plenty of work. Yep. Yeah, and that's. Yeah. I mean, that's a great thing. I like. I always like driving home when that comes up because you know, like a lot of the guests we get on are like in that big touring world, mm -hmm. and like that's awesome and exciting, and that is the dream for so many of us. But it doesn't necessarily have to be. And like the fact that like there are so many fulfilling things we can do and like all these other parts of live sound that both like pay the bills. You can still have fun. Like you can still enjoy and love what you do and make a living. And yeah, if you want, go home every night. Uh, yep. Or, or, or every morning. You know, I one mean, of the things yeah. it was, it's my most memorable gig and it's not unlike touring. Uh, so I loaded in at 7 a.m at a TV station in Chicago. And they had a crazy show that had five stages, five bands, and an aerialist. And, all this stuff. and they only had a budget for me. They didn't have a budget for any other helpers. So I had a full truck, and it was a union house, so the guys unloaded everything. But I said, I got to have somebody for each stage to be able to pin it so we can... And the first guy I got was a cameraman who didn't know which end, I'm not exaggerating, he didn't know which end of an XLR to plug in. So I had to show him how to plug oh, an no. XLR into a microphone. And it went downhill from there. Oh, but no. So I basically did the whole thing. So from 7 a.m., I closed the door to the truck at 3.05 a.m., and I didn't stop the entire day because it had to get done. And I was like, well, you got to do it. So totally, that's, like a, that's like a tough touring day, although no breaks. You know, they and they... They had a show, and everything was worked fine. And the head audio guy at this TV station, wonderful guy, he says, where have you been all my life? He said, 
no one will ever work in this TV station except you and your people. This is awesome. He said, I've tried them all. And, you're, and I, I actually got that gig through a musician that I knew from playing. You know, he said, you know how to do live songs. Come, they mess it up every year we do this show. And I did the show every year. And then we've done over 250 music shows at that TV station over the years. That's awesome. So, yeah. And it's because, you know, you could now, I was pretty tired, but that, I was probably in my 40s when that happened. But I said, you know what? I can do this. I can do a tough day if I have to. And I'm not, it's, I'm not bragging. I didn't, didn't think that was awesome of me. But, you know, it's like, Whatever you got to do, we'll do it. I didn't say no. You got to hire four other guys. Union House, I wasn't going to, you know, upset the apple cart. So we did it. So anyway, that was, <laughs> forgot about that gig. Wild totally. Chicago. It was we, the name of that show. We've all had shows like that, man. I'm because sure. Yep. Those are, you go those in are and you say, days. why did I take this? But in the, yep. and doesn't a day like but that But then go, you look at the relationship that was built at, over the time and you go, man, yeah. that was worth it. You know what I mean? The one tough day and now you got to, a client, 250 musicals, like, that's great. That's a killer yeah. client. Right. Yeah, it was, oh, yeah, that, that was a really good show, a good client to have. And they still are. They're still a great client. We that's do their awesome. gala every year. So, you know, it's just like, just one, like you said, one opportunity. So. Yeah, and, and you never know where it's going to come from. Like you said, that came from, like, somebody you knew through music. It was just like, hey, come help out with this thing. And, yeah, it's yep. easy to, it's, it's really easy to, like, think about the day you're having and, like, write it off or not give it your best and yeah you never know what ripple effect any any even small like i don't want to say stupid gig but i'll say stupid gig has you cannot afford to not be always doing your best a hundred percent wisdom right there yep, yep. You it's, have to it's, do your best. it's a cliche but it's a cliche for a reason you're only as good as your last gig i mm-hmm. own an entire sound company just like tc because I'm not the grumpy sound guy because I work my freaking ass off and I'm not the grumpy sound guy. I personally am an average ass sound guy. Like half the people that I talk to are way better sound guys than me, but the clients keep hiring me because I'm not cranky and I'll work harder than anybody else. Just like you were just saying. And you know, like the people that don't have that won't be working, you know? Right. I, uh, I was in our office with our general manager. We have a new general manager for about the last five months. And uh, I heard him talk to a prospective uh, freelancer. And he's saying, he's, oh, you know, I, I said, you've been a great company. I've rented stuff from you. I really enjoyed working with you and that kind of thing. And I said, and Ross is a freelancer too. He says, oh, yeah. He said, tell me about yourself. And he's a very nice guy, this guy, Ross. And I, he said, uh, he says, I'm always happy to be on a gig. <laughs> our general manager said, that's what we want. We want a guy who's always happy to be there. So he got, he got on our freelance roster because, and you know, you have to go through some other things and he has a lot of experience, but, uh, but yeah, I, I can't abide somebody who's, um, doesn't have the right attitude. I mean, they don't last long at our company totally. and over the, in 50 years, you've had some, you know, I call them well poisoners. There are people who poison the well and, I didn't used to be smart enough to break, give them another opportunity somewhere else. But I think through experience, we all get a little smarter and that's what we do. We just kind of help people make a better career decision than working with us. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Cause they take the whole team down with them, man. Like in a heartbeat that yep. like negativity or pessimism or whatever you want to call it, just, it takes the whole thing down. You know, and it's it makes the what is already going to be a long day because everything we do is a long day, right? Yep. That much longer and that much more challenging. You know, you're you're a smart man, sir. You're a smart well, man. Well, I wish I was as smart as I am now when I was your age. <laughs> you're I mean, that's that's half the reason we do this show is is to help help everybody else learn from our stupidity. Learn, well, learn apparently, from the apparently dude, I'm flying did. to Chicago and buying TC dinner so I can pick his brain and get smarter. So I don't. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I'm that smart, but I'm welcome because I'll return the favor and pick your brain too. Love so it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I want to on on that subject we were talking. I want to touch on it's 
a thing that a, a thing that happened to me in the last week or so on a job because I've uh, as Sean knows and I I think I sort of explained to TC a little bit when when we were chatting the other week that I'm sort of in like a quasi house position right now a lot of the time mm-hmm. at a at an art center here in the city and we is the I'm trying to think how to phrase this that we're not all going to be perfect all the time and well ideally never be a jerk the second best thing you can do is to catch yourself when you realize you've been a jerk and cop to it and 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 admit it and say like look i'm sorry i'm being a jerk it is not about you this is a this is due to whatever else is going on let's start over and like totally. being able to admit that is a big thing and like that's a thing i had to do the other week cuz we there was schedule on a show that just like stuff was going crazy and schedules kept slipping and sliding and we were all getting kind of frustrated about stuff. And I, like I ended up going up to somebody and saying, Hey, look, I'm sorry. I'm being a bit of a dick today. It's not about you. It's, it's been a frustrating week for all of us and that's coming out in a way it shouldn't. And I'm going to, I'm going to work on that, but I want to at least if I can't not be a jerk right now, I want to at least acknowledge that I know I'm being a jerk and, and I'm, going to try and dial that back in. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think that's, that's wisdom. Uh, I also, you know, in preparation for this, I put together, I, I didn't know if you were going to ask me if there's some tidbits or advice that you could give the audience. So ATC, I ATC, there's some tidbits or advice you could give the audience. I don't think so. <laughs> no. Nah, none. None. Uh, no, no there, I, so I, you know, I, Took about an hour. I always like to prepare for stuff, so I, you know, I, I always have the phrase "luck favors the prepared mind." So I like to prepare for whatever I can. I've that's, had too many situations. Right there. <laughs> okay, right. Well, prepare, preparing. Yeah, I got a. Well, I got a few things, and I'll just rip into them if you don't mind, because no, but one of them is, ex- is exactly what you said. That's what made me think of it. And one of them is, uh, no one. You have to be a grown up, and saying, "I'm sorry." I wasn't acting the way I wanted to act, that type of thing. That's like, I, would, I didn't want to act like a kid, which don't have control of themselves sometimes. And know how, and, and saying, I'm sorry this happened. Uh, it's not your fault. I'll, I'll make sure that I work really hard the rest of the day to make sure we don't have any issues or whatever it is. But uh, that, was, that was one of the things is, you know, be a, be a grown-up, you know, be smart, be f- uh, funny when you have to be, be light in a light mood when you can be, and knowing being a grown up really knows about when it's time to get serious too. And sometimes you have to get you can't be light when the client's got a problem. You got to be dead serious and then fixing their problem. So, and I think that with age and experience, you, we all get better at that. I can think of things that I said that were completely out of place, and then I can think of things that I did. Being a complete weirdo was the only way out of it, you know. <laughs> so, I, I, I was a at a point where you just got it. The only thing we can do to fix this is get everybody laughing. Exactly, exactly right. And some for whatever reason, I was the guy. I can remember a corporate show that I was doing, and everybody was uptight. It was the like the CEO was coming, and they were afraid of losing only one their jobs. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I remember one specifically. So I said, "What am I going to do?" So it was my turn to check the lav mic. So I went up and checked the lav mic, and I did Jerry Lewis impressions. You know, they weren't, I wasn't pointing at anybody, but, you know, I was doing, and this guy completely started smiling, then he started laughing, and then he completely forgot about the fact that he thought he was going to get fired for not having everything together for this meeting. And, uh, And so I just couldn't think of what else to do, so I did. Would I do that now? Probably not. But, you know, sometimes you just have to wing it and hope that you don't. And it was, thankfully, I read the room right. It was the right thing to do. But, um, which brings me to my next piece of advice. Uh, Don't do Jerry Lewis impressions. (laughs) 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 On stage, on a lava. No. Uh, My second piece of advice comes from a newspaper article that I read, oh gosh, it's probably 30 years ago. And in the newspaper, I like to read a real paper. I read a paper every day. And, uh, and on the front page was um, uh, an article 
about a 103-year-old civil engineer who was still working, that he goes to work every day, and he works a 40 to 45 to 50-hour week even. And they asked him, what's the number one thing that's allowed you to work this long? And he said, no stress. I do not have stress in my job. And they said, well, do you do the same work that everybody else at your company does? Oh, yeah. And are they stressed? Yep. Why aren't you stressed? And he said, well, because I'm an expert. I know what I'm doing. And when, I, when I'm an expert, I know what to do. Not knowing what to do is the biggest point of stress ever. And, I, and so I, re, I adopted that guy's philosophy totally. very early on. You know, it was like, yep, that's me. I want to get good at stuff so I don't have to stress about it. And the more I learned, the less I stressed. So I, I mean, I run a company that just came through a pandemic. I mean, it got a little stressful because I didn't know exactly what to do when the government shuts down our building. And that, so that was a little stressful. But since then, I mean, honestly, I have a low stress life because we have really good people on our staff that I can rely on. I trust everybody, you know, all these other things. And I think I know enough about some things, most things, to know if we're making the right decision. So, as you know, I'm not, I'm not stressing a lot anymore. Whereas in the early days, anybody in the live sound world knows stress. Andy, certainly, when something oh. is not going well and there's an audience uh-huh. in, your, in your art center, it's like, <laughs> that's high stress. So, yep. yep. So, well, always- and that actually, that hits on specifically uh, another way to phrase it, that um, for, for those who don't know, we have a Facebook group for the Signal Noise podcast, which if you're on Facebook and you do that thing, search for Signal Noise podcast and join it. And one of the group members, uh, Sean Albert, just posted the other day, that something that uh, he's run into lately in corporate work that he feels uh, doesn't feel enough people in this industry go by, which is that a problem isn't a problem until the client notices how you're reacting to it. Perfect. And I think that's that's yep. very much like on totally. the same lines of it's yeah. If you are not stressing and you have that confidence that you're exuding that everything's under control, everything's fine. When you start stressing and freaking out, that's when everybody else is going to get panicky too. Right. And I've seen people stressing and freaking out when nothing's wrong. I mean, it's just, you know, they're, they're afraid of what might happen and, you know, just people who are keyed up or, or that type of thing. So, yeah, I think that's a really good point, Andy. You know, you, you got to be, you know, ready to put on your best game face no matter what is really what it boils down to. Yeah. So I got to um, stop drinking so much coffee. I got it. All right. Check. <laughs> <laughs> so here's one that I'm going to Put on top of that, if I may, and that is, uh, I told I was at a show at a university one time in the student union, I think it was, and there was a pretty well-known artist that was coming in. We were waiting for the artist to get there, and they were going to get there right before showtime. And I said, um, I said to my university helper, I said, "Did you check the monitors? Yeah, they work." I said, "Did you check the connectors on the monitors? Uh, no." Go do it. And he said, did you ring out the monitors? Yeah, pretty good. Do it better. Because we had downtime. He came back to me, gosh, 15 years later. He said, I got to tell you, that little gig we did in the student union, you changed my life. And I said, what do you mean? You taught me to always be doing something to prepare for something that's going to happen before it happens. And I said, totally. I I did? (laughs) He said, he said, yeah. He said, my whole life got better just because I figured that out, that that was a really good thing to do. So now we kind of, I mean, if, you, if you can't tell already, I'm kind of a teacher at heart. I kind of like to help people have an easier time with their profession or whatever it is. And, uh, and I think that's really important, you know. And then let me allow, allow me, if you will, to present yet one last piece of advice. This is a hard one. This is the hardest thing I think that people can do. I'm guilty of it as much as anybody. If you're on the clock, you should not be socializing. It happens all the time that people, especially when you bring freelance together who don't work all the time together and they get to catch up and 
it's not because I want more value out of the money that I'm paying a freelancer, but there's always stuff to do. I don't know of any live show that doesn't have something to do. And we often get to the point where we're not, we don't have enough time to do it. So there's a couple freelancers that I know who I can't hire because they don't get it. And I don't, well, I, I haven't hired a freelancer for 20 years, but who the company won't hire because of the fact that they talk too much and they distract other people. Great engineers, great guys, but when you're on the clock, now, after the gig, 100%, spend as much time as you want. Before the gig, show up early, have a cup of coffee together, have a donut, whatever it is, that's fine. But while you're on the clock, think of stuff to make things better and you know, get, ahead, get ahead of things if you possibly can. So you know, totally. sometimes, and we all know the stagehand who is the nicest guy in the world, and you're trying to get away from him to go do work. You know, and it's just, I mean, I love these guys like they're my brothers, but we got to get, we got something to do here. I'm so, biting anyway. through my tongue because I can think of two or three people that exactly match that description. Yep. Yep. Love them dearly. Love them. Right. <sighs> World's nicest people. Yep. So, yeah. I, th- I think the Southerners say, bless his heart. <laughs> bless his heart. Right. 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 Well, That's I gotta funny. say, like we we could have TC on more only because like he just wrapped himself up with a bow almost exactly at an hour, which is the mark we never managed to hit. Nailed it, and that's the pod. Cue music. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, we'll go, we'll go a couple more minutes. Um, I, I gotta. I was gonna ask you about food, and then I'm like, as a New Yorker talking to Chicago, and this is dangerous territory. Don't do right it now. Don't do it. I don't want. I don't want any bloodshed. All right, come no, on. No, I gotta it. ask because I, I, I for, actually for the first time a few years ago spent three weeks in Chicago on a show, and as a New Yorker who has strong opinions about pizza, was gonna, you know, was like, I'm gonna give the fair shake and do the tour of all. So I got, I gotta ask you as as a native, where 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 are you going for pizza? Boy, am I boring on the pizza front. <laughs> I am so boring. So uh, so deep dish. So I was just, we had a big party for the audio guys in Chicago a couple weeks ago. And uh, it was a birthday party for one guy. And it was, a, it was kind of a memorial for one of our sound brothers who had passed. And, it was, and we, uh, we went to Pequod's. So Pequod's in Morton Grove right. is, is considered the best deep dish pizza I, the- I I support that. Okay, I, that is that is that is where after after touring as many places as I could in that three weeks, that was that was the one I landed on as the best. Although, are they're the one that starts to tiptoe into almost Detroit style? Well, they do make a Detroit style pizza there, but the deep dish is in a round pan. Yep, and they put cheese on the pan. Outside yep. of the crust to turn well, that, black. That, yeah, that, that's yeah. what that's what I mean by like it starts to because like Detroit style is also where it's the thick where half the crust is the caramelized cheese. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but no, it is it is worth like if you're staying in downtown Chicago, it is it is worth the the car ride out to to Morton Grove. Did you go to Morton Grove for that one? I'm I must have. It was definitely it was a little bit of a it was a it was a lift ride. Uh, it was a little bit of a journey, but it was it was well recommended and well worth it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, locals will say that's the best in the country. So my wife and I are thin crust lovers. We do not like the deep dish as much. Although I got to say, they didn't as overload. Yorker, I endorse this. did not overload it with cheese, which is good. So, yeah. Yep. I didn't say, because it got to the point where I was like, other than that, if I'm going for like a fully like normal crust, it started to be like, well, I kind of want the crust and the sauce from this place, but the sausage from that place. And Yep. Yep. It's, yeah, it's. It's a deep dive going into the pizza wars. And uh, yep. yeah, so yeah, we, we like, so I like coal fired pizza. And the best that I've had was in Brooklyn. I did yep. a whole bunch of shows at St. Anne's Warehouse, TV shows. Oh, yep. And there was a place right down the block from St. Anne's that had, yep. the, and it's an old family, began with a D. Defaras? Might, yeah, it might have been. Maybe it's because we were so hungry, but that was the yeah, best. No, that's, that's definitely one of one of the best in the city for sure. Right, and and what's 
what's your worst in this? Never. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, what's your favorite? Don't you know Andy is a secret Domino's eater? We've, we've talked about this on the podcast. <laughs> not, not in town, but that is the, I'm, we've talked before. That is my, I'm dealing a corporate gig out of town. And I just, I, it's been a 15 hour day and I just need something that'll show up at the hotel warm He's got and the consistent. App. They have a concierge that shows up like, <laughs> hey, Andy, here's your pizza. Like they know just how he likes it. It's like, norm, it cheers. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. When you need a pizza with three Z's in the Z, you need a pizza. Oh my That's, God, totally. Uh, well, that note, now that I've completely detoured us down that road and brought us back and, and conveniently found the Chicago and that likes Brooklyn pizza the best, I feel like that's yep. the note to end on the high note. Yeah, yeah dude. But TZ, it's TZ, been... Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out, dude. This was awesome. I really enjoyed getting to know you guys and uh, sharing a little bit of the history of and the craziness that has been my 50-year career. Uh, and if you're serious about doing another one, at some far distant date, I would be happy to uh, join you because you're a blast. Uh, we would with. definitely love to have you back. I know, I know when, when Pete hooked us up, Pete was like, and if you need a guest host, and, and he unfortunately couldn't make it work today to come on, but mm-hmm. it will get you and a couple of the other Chicagoland folks on and, and do a little little Chicago signal to noise sound hang or something. Right. Uh, and let me put in a little uh, plus for Pete. He is an awesome guy to work with. So yep. before he went for the uh, shop that he worked for, we used him as a freelancer, and he was always just a delight to have on a show site. So uh, he's great. So it was nice to – I did listen to his podcast. It was ni- nice to hear that one too. So yep. Yeah, no, Pete's a, Pete's a good dude. And I, yep. I say there, there are a few like great things that came out of the craziness of the pandemic – Meeting Pete was one. Ending mm-hmm. up together with with uh, my my wife, uh, who had been a longtime friend, in a pandemic turned us into a couple. Was another, you know, and finding those silver linings. Yep, that's it. Exactly. Fantastic. Cool. Great. Well, yeah, TC. Thanks for hanging with us again. You know, Sean. Always good to see you. And um, yeah, you know, and we'll you know say thanks to our sponsors: Rational Acoustics, RCF, Allen and Heath, uh, who help uh, keep the lights on, keep the keep the virtual studio running. And uh, we'll catch you all next time on another episode of Signal to Noise. Bye, y'all. Now I just got to find the stop button.